from Brooklyn, New York. I'm Adam Teeter. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the Vine Pair Podcast. And Zach, man, like 2021, man. I know. Let's get it. It's a it's like a weird time warp because unsurprisingly, we are recording this before New Year's Eve. And you, know, you all are listening to this in the future, which is always the case, but is most poignant at the end of the year. But yeah, I mean... I got to say, you know, we'll, we'll get to our predictions in a minute, but boy, like I've been looking forward to it not being 2020 for about the entirety of 2020. So totally. yeah, <laughs> it's like, I don't think I've ever been as excited for a year to be over. I think that's, that's the case for most people, man, for most people. Um, well, before we jump into the, to the predictions episode, a word from uh, today's sponsor. Are you aiming to cut back on calories and alcohol, but still want to enjoy a delicious glass of wine? Yeah. I mean, I definitely need to cut back on calories. <laughs> okay. Uh Mind and Body Wines are your perfect solution. These low-calorie, low-alcohol wines are only 90 calories per serving and are vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, and made with, without added sugar. With Mind and Body Wines, you can sip without sacrifice. Learn more at mindandbodywines.com. And now, Zach, yeah. uh, that we are thinking about what is, uh, what is up to – what's going what's gonna to be coming in 2021, before we jump into that um, – you know anything you want to reflect on from 2020 that was just absolutely delicious, or in that on in this last holiday week that we that we all had? Was there something you came that you know you came across? We're just like, man, I'm really glad I consumed that. <laughs> well, you know we we all threw in our favorite drinks of uh, of 2020 in the last episode. So if you missed that, uh, give it a listen. We you know Adam and I summed up what happened, but at the end we got uh, just about everyone uh, on the Vine Pair team, including you and me, to uh, to mention a favorite drink or two from the year so um yeah that was that was that was fun and you guys can go listen to that if you want a little more but in this last week i think probably the thing i you know it's funny i'm gonna sound a little bit like you although obviously it's a wine we both love but uh but i did something that i feel like you do a lot on this podcast which is i opened a really nice bottle of barolo the other night um, <laughs> and nice. uh, uh from a producer marengo that i like quite a bit uh from the brico del viol uh, vineyard and uh you know it's like one of those things where I drink a lot of different wines. Obviously, you know, you will hear about some of them on the podcast and, and all that. But uh, but Barolo has always been one of my favorites, always, I'm sure, will be one of my favorites. And uh, every now and then I return to it. My wife is a big fan as well. And so it's just it was just everything I want out of a bottle of Barolo. You know, it had the tannin and, and acidity that I expect from Nebbiolo, but beautifully aromatic, lots of sort of violets, um, hence the name of the vineyard and, uh, you know, kind of um, smoky notes. And yeah, it's just delicious. And, and you know, it's, it, we'll get into this with predictions in a minute, but but it was a reminder of like, oh, yeah, this is considered one of the world's great wine regions for a damn good reason. Yeah, man. How about you? So I did drink a, a, some Barolo, um, but also what I had that I had never made before and realized that it's actually a lot easier than I thought was a paper plane. Oh yeah. And so, yeah, I made paper planes uh, one night and they were delicious. I mean, I did not have Aperol. So I used another, um, actually used select. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So it's a lot, it's, it's a much darker red. So the, the paper plane actually came out a much darker red color, okay. uh, but I actually liked that. It was like really cool. And, and Naomi was like, wow, this is like, seems very holiday themed, you know, like it's this like deep, dark red cocktail. Um, and it was just really delicious. And I forgot how tasty it is. Um, and it's one of these cocktails that like I would order out, but have never made at home. Um, mostly because I'm usually like, Oh, do I, I don't have a Amaro no Nino. And I was like, you know, also I don't have no Nino. I'm just gonna use a different Amaro. And again, yeah. worked really well. Um, so yeah, I, I highly recommend it to people. Uh, and then I also made another cocktail. Um, well, 
that was that I've also enjoyed a lot over the the break. The last word. Oh yeah, um, that was another like really tasty cocktail. That again, I was like, why do I have maraschino liqueur lying around? Why do I have you know green chartreuse? I guess I'll like figure this out. You know, um, and and enjoyed both of those. And it was like they were fun to sort of play around with over the holidays. And yeah, man. Now I'm like now that we're getting into 2021, I'm kind of into the whole like maybe i don't have to drink all the time like i'm i'm i already have my rolling machine i do it all the time but like i i feel like uh you know as, as i've told you before i always take like two to three days off a week of uh-huh. you know not having a drink and then you know a few other days a week i'll have like one drink and then like on friday and saturday you know we'll have a bottle of wine or something i feel like i'm just maybe not gonna have a drink for a few weeks <laughs> it's just yeah it's felt like a lot <laughs> and uh, I mean, I was saying, I don't think that dry January is going to be a huge thing this year. I still sort of don't think that. Um, but I do think that like, I'm, I'm ready to sort of get back into a little bit of shape. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's like a good all the bread I've been making. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. Well, I think it's kind of like a good transition into some of what we'll be talking about, like in terms of predictions, because yep. you mentioned dry January and I think you're, you're right that I think especially in the, the the we're in this very strange period of time right in the first especially in the probably like the first half of 2021 where like on the one hand there are signs of real hope people are getting vaccinated like it does seem like by the end of 2021 when you and I are doing our year in review and our previews for or our predictions for 2022 probably life will be uh more like it was in 2019 and less like it was in 2020 but we're still got a ways to go for most of us, yeah. especially, you know, people who are not in, you know, who are not frontline workers, who are not, you know, high risk individuals. It's probably going to be months before any of us are vaccinated. And so I, I, a lot of my predictions are kind of like almost like you could split 2021 in half. Um, but I want to start with one that I think is related to what you were talking about with cocktails. And that is, I think, when people go back out to drink, I think the kind of bars and the cocktail bars that are going to succeed are, as we a little bit talked about last week, the ones that deliver an experience that you just cannot replicate at home unless you are an obsessive. So Tiki, I think, places that are doing really intricate cocktails. Like, I bet you, you now, after having made a paper plane, made the last word at home, you're like, do I want to pay $18 for that in a bar? Or do I want to pay $18 for something that I never in a million years would try at home? Right. And so I think that's going to be, for the cocktail drinking public, you know, this these 9, 10, 11 months, whatever, plus however many more before bars reopen fully are going to have been times when people figured out the Manhattan, they figured out the old fashioned, they figured out the martini, whatever their, their go-to classic cocktail or, or in that realm, the Negroni, et cetera. And I just think like, if you're going to make it as a cocktail bar in 2021, you're going to have to blow people's minds in a way that happened a decade ago when like craft cocktail bars were really on the rise and people were smoking cocktails and, you know, setting things on fire. And I think that is where we're going to see people's attentions because they're going to want something they can't do at home and they're going to want to show, right? Like, I think we're going to see suspenders come back. That's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, look, I think, so I'm going to build on this because I think it's, it's one whole idea. So I think two, two things, one, you're 100% right. And two, another reason for that is going to be because we're going to see RTS or RTD, however you want to say it, ready to survey a drink, come online big time in 2021. And I'm not talking from now the craft brands that have been doing it already, but I'm talking about the Bacardi's, Diageo's, Brown Foreman's of the world are going to come out with their brands attached to batch martinis, batch Manhattans, 
it's going to be all over the spirit stores. And again, you're going to be able to get for most people now, if you don't want to make it at home, a very solid version of that same cocktail in a box, in a bottle, in a, you know, one in, in a, in a, you know, single serve. And you're just not going to pay that same money for that, more money for that identical drink out. Right. If, if you, if all of a sudden, and I have no information to back this up, but like, let's just say if all of a sudden, Kettle One starts bottling martinis, right? Or Tanqueray does the same thing. We already know Tanqueray this summer came out with Tanqueray gin and tonic, right? Yeah. Why are you going to pay for that out? Yeah. At three times markup. You're yep. just not. It's You're going to have to start. Or the other bars that I think will succeed are just going to be the bars where people are going to just have a good time, right? And those bars are going to do really well with, as we even said this summer, frozen drinks, margaritas, you know, uh, gin and tonics, r- vodka sodas, rum and cokes. Like that, there's going to be those bars, and there's going to be, and like they're going to be a lot of fun. And then there's going to be the the serious cocktail bars where you're, where you're willing to spend eighteen to twenty bucks a cocktail. But the idea that anyone's going to spend sixteen dollars on an old fashioned anymore, I think, is not going to be unless it's at a a place that does not exist as a bar first, right? So what, what I mean by that is, you know, restaurants, right? Yeah. Where you're like, well, I'm already here and I'd like an old fashioned while I'm waiting for my table or to start the meal. So I'll order one because it's a cocktail I know I really like. But if you're going to a cocktail bar specifically to go to a cocktail bar, I think you're completely right because, you know, the 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 future is, is going to be a lot of these cocktails are going to be even easier to enjoy at home when we have RTDs and RTSs really widely available. And I actually wonder, Adam, this is a thought that occurred to me while you were talking and I think is is not something I had exactly thought about, but I wonder if even in the situation you described, like the at a restaurant, I wonder how many of those kinds of establishments, and I have some thoughts about restaurants that I'll get to in a little bit, how many of those restaurants are really going to truly have a dedicated bartender on staff, right? If you can get a good quality RTS or RTD yeah. cocktail as a part, and you're, you know, you're a, your average neighborhood restaurant, like... Do you really want to pay someone to make a Manhattan when you can just have a server open a can or a bottle, pour pour it into a glass or pour, you know, maybe pour it over ice or whatever? Right, like you can keep you can keep your martini, your bottle of premixed martini in the fridge, pour it into a martini glass, garnish it and serve it and like you don't have to pay someone to stir a cocktail. And I think, you know, I'm not sure that right away that's going to be what people are okay with, but as these products become more ubiquitous, like I think that will happen. And with a lot of cocktails, frankly, I don't even think that's a bad thing. I mean, I certainly, a part of me will bemoan the, la- the you know, the lack of bartenders in restaurants and bars, like, uh, you know, as from someone who thinks that, you know, it's good for us to have jobs that people can do, right. <laughs> since our society in this country in particular still really kind of requires you to have a job to like, you know, be a part of society in any meaningful way. Uh, for most people, I, I do think, though, that like, you're going to look at, at a lot of these positions in restaurants and bars and say, like, well, if I'm if I can pay essentially the same thing for a premixed martini, if my pork cost is essentially the same as to buy a bottle of gin and a bottle of vermouth, and then I don't have to pay someone to do that, I don't know. To me, that's that's a that's a hard value proposition to pass up if you're a restaurant. And I'm sure that the big players are going to be happy to you know subsidize that cost to some extent to get those products not just into liquor stores and grocery stores, but into you know restaurants and bars. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. Um, so I think another another big trend we're going to see this year, and this is more of a, um, you know, pre- I guess prediction trend, is I think it's going to be 
I guess the the go the, the return to normal is going to be uneven across the world. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I think we're going to see a lot of countries. We're already seeing this by the way that we are sort of haphazardly rolling out our own vaccine here and sort of hearing about how that's working compared to other countries that have a different organizational system, right? It's going to take longer, I think, for us to roll out our version of the vaccine than for, let's say, potentially in Italy or uh, a Germany, for example. And we may start seeing that, they, that those countries are getting back to normal, meaning that there may be, and this is now, you know, uh, for, for trade people listen, these, these big conferences, there may be an in-person Vin Italy this year, right? I mean, I've heard that's going to potentially happen this summer, right? There may not be a lot of Americans that attend it, yeah. <laughs> but there may be a lot of people from Europe who attend it because they all got the vaccine faster than we did. Yeah. Um, there may be a pro wine this year. Uh, there may be other, you know, there may be some version of Bar Convent, right? Because Bar Convent Berlin happens in the fall. Right, so that that may still happen this year uh, if Germany all gets vaccinated. Right, we may not though have our bar convent Brooklyn, or we yeah. may not have a, a tails in the same way, depending on what the rollout looks like. So I think there's gonna be, and so what I'm I'm trying to say, I guess, is there's gonna be some frustration. I think of of us sort of some, at some point being on the outside looking in, and and for other countries as well, right? As we just all sort of are figuring out on our own, we sort of have seen this from what happened in 2020 with how each country sort of handled dealing with the virus in the first place, right? And who mask mandated, who didn't, who locked down travel, who didn't. It's going to be the same. And I think that's to say that, like, I don't think 2021 will fully be normal um, until, as you said, Zach, like the very potentially end of the year. And I think along with that, there will be some frustration and some people who say, like, oh, well, is this, you know, is this doom and gloom, blah, blah, blah. And I don't think it's ultimately going to be, but I think there could be months where it feels that way when we see that there are, other countries that have vaccinated faster or were more organized to do that. And we just weren't. And therefore, you know, we're not able to return to normal as fast as they are. For sure. And, and that's interesting because I had a couple of things on my list of predictions that kind of tie into this. So, mm-hmm. so I'm going to say that I think one thing that's also going to be true is that Q3 and definitely Q4 of 2021 are going to be monster wine tourism years or, or quarters. Like the, I think a thing that is just true and whether, you know, you, we can discuss someone else with a different kind of podcast can discuss this on a different dimension. But let's be honest, this whole period of time has dramatically impacted or has dramatically differently impacted different parts of this country and different parts of, of society. And there are a ton of people that, that I know and that, you know, who are frankly financially doing just fine. They were able to work from home. Frankly, they probably spent less money on a lot of things this year than they would have. And yes, they maybe went out and bought the rower or the Peloton or they, you know, the, they paid the astronomical prices to get, you know, free weights or whatever sent to their house. But but for the most part, they're not traveling, most of them. They're probably not dining out as much. And for a lot of people, when that feels safe, when things are reopened to some extent, I mean, Napa, Sonoma, um, you know, maybe the if the weather's decent still, the Finger Lakes, Virginia and Europe too, if if people are able to travel there uh, safely and legally, yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be a massive, massive second half of the year for tourism because so many people have missed that element. And obviously, it'll be for, big for tourism in other ways outside of wine, but that's what we talk about here. And so, I just think like it's going to be a, a monster year. And yet, what I think is also going to be complicated is to what extent are the places that have been suffering and the industries that have been suffering, you know, 
hospitality, tourism, to some extent, air travel, though they've obviously been heavily subsidized. Yeah. Are they going to be able to meet that demand? I think that's the other big question is like – It's going to be interesting. I think one of the things – look, this is just anecdotal. This isn't uh, – you know, the, the airlines have not released this information. But I don't know about you. I've seen a ton of people – and I think Q3 and Q4 is the smart call here. And the reason for that is I think most people in the US are hopeful that they've at least – been able to have access to the vaccine by June or July, right? So that means that the second half of the year, but really heavy in like that September, October, November, December. So I'm really, I really think like the last four months of the year. So end of Q3, you know, beginning of Q4, people feel like they'll feel really safe. And I've seen tons of people posting online throughout this week that they have gone ahead and purchased airline tickets Hmm. for that time next year because airline fares right now are at an all-time low. Yeah. Right. So people saying, well, I'm going to take the risk if I need to, you know, if I need to cancel, I'll buy it with insurance or get reimbursed. But I mean, like, you know, people are saying they're seeing, you know, flights in in comfort from New York to Vienna for four hundred dollars round trip over Christmas, you know, flights to Rome, you know, just because right now no one is traveling. So the airlines are keeping their prices low. And so, yeah, I think you're right. And I think so it's, it's going to be a combination of people like that who are just planning ahead and saying, I'm going to grab it. And there's be the people who did just fine and are saying, screw it. I don't care that by the time I'm ready in June to book that trip in the fall, uh, you know, the prices have tripled. I'm going to pay it too because I made a ton of money in, on the market in 2020. Um, and they're going to go. I mean, I think, yeah, it's going to be a boom time. And hopefully these tourism locations are prepared and are ready to staff up uh, yeah. because I think you're right. Like that's going to be the biggest question. It's like, because so many places have, you know, cut jobs, have closed, whatever, are they going to be prepared? And are the same people going to be in the market ready to work? Well, and I think that's the other big, one of my other big predictions or, or at least things to watch for 2021. And that is, I think that there's the demand will be there and the demand will be there for tourism. It'll also be there for eating and drinking out just in, you know, in one's own hometown or city. But I I think a huge as yet unanswered question, and it will have to be answered in part by federal and to some extent state governments, but also by, you know, people like you and me and and everyone else is, you know, who reopens when, when it comes to restaurants and bars and who, what kinds of places are there to meet that demand because the demand will 100% be there. It will be a huge year, second half of the year probably for restaurants and bars because every last person is sick and tired of eating at their house, drinking at their house. As much as we've all come to appreciate parts of it, as much as I think that it's true that some things will linger that that you know we talked about earlier that certain cocktails will be at home cocktails more than they're out cocktails, but the point is people are going to want to go do shit. I mean, we see this now when it's unsafe for most people to do stuff and it will be all the more so when people feel uh, it is safe or reasonably safe to do so. But of course, the big question is, again, are all the places that reopen going to be only the places with, you know, corporate money behind them, huge, you know, multinationals behind them? I don't know. I, I mean, I honestly think this is one of the hardest things to answer, because we're still in this period of time where places are, you know, there's a lot of places that are, you know, sort of, quote, unquote, closed for now that have not officially announced that they're closing. Mm-hmm. But but figuring out if there's money that comes from the federal government to help those small independent restaurants and bars reopen, which will cost, you know, an individual operator more than they could reasonably afford in most cases, um, especially if they didn't have huge savings, which they presumably burned through trying to stay viable, you know, in the early part of the pandemic, potentially. I just don't know, like, whether the places that reopen, if there are going to be as many of them, and if they're going to be, you know, 
with the ethos that I think you and I generally prefer to support, which is like, it's, you know, not a massive, you know, chain of restaurants, but I, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, I honestly don't. I wish I could feel confident that the, that I can make a prediction that, you know, the, the neighborhood spots, the small, you know, restaurant companies that, that we like, uh, that I worked for, <laughs> uh, are going to going to come back online, but I just, I, we'll have to wait and see on that one, I think. So I think what's going to happen is in terms of we're talking about openings, we're about to see the largest group of new faces, money, and names in the hospitality industry in decades Mm -hmm. because there is a lower barrier to entry. The power structure has been dismantled. There is none, right? Right now, it's about can you afford the real estate and do you have money? And as we've said earlier, there are people that do that love hospitality that, that that are hospitality fans. There are also a, there's also a generation that maybe has been had been saving and didn't open. Right? I think there is going to be the places that do have the mom and pops we're talking about are going to be people we've never met before. Huh. Because I think a lot of the people who we've met have gotten fucked, yeah, and have lost a lot and are probably out or are out of the cities we live in. And maybe they're going to go and open a great place in the Hudson Valley or somewhere in Pennsylvania or, you know, Jersey. I'm just talking again now, which is places because they want to stay close to the city or for you, you know, outside of Seattle, maybe they're going to go to, you know, one of the wine regions or whatever and open a nice restaurant where they can afford the rent because they're, they're done with the city, right? Because yeah. they also probably got screwed by their landlord. But I think a lot of people are, are, you know, haven't had that experience because maybe during this pandemic, they were still in finance or they were in consulting, or whatever, and they did well. And now they want to back something and they have a buddy who, you know, over the you know course of the pandemic got really good at making bread and they're going to open a bakery together. I mean, who knows, but you, I'm hearing this stuff. Yeah. And I just feel like it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And the biggest question to me that we talked about a lot over the last few months is what does the structure of that restaurant look like? How many people will be hired for each job or will this be a completely new business model, right? Yeah. How, how much will it be, you know, that every single restaurant, even the casual neighborhood restaurant needs a SOM, right? Or did some, did, did you just get really good at buying wine because you got into wine over the pandemic and you know that you could probably do it yourself? Like, why do you need to hire someone that, you know, has some certifications, right? Because you're just opening at the end of the day, a place that serves really dope burgers and, good salads and like maybe a solid fried chicken. You know what I mean? Like that's, and if that's yeah. what you're doing, you don't need a song. Yeah. Um, that I think, cause as you said, there's, cause people are going to be desperate to just go out and eat anything, including burgers that they were making. Oh, yeah. Like I do not, I want to eat a burger out. <laughs> I want to be in a crowded <laughs> restaurant. You know what I mean? Like I want yeah. wine that I buy off a list. Like yeah. I just, I'm ready for that. And I think most people are, I think people are going to go crazy. I think it's going to, I think we are about to see a, a new version of the roaring twenties. I think it's going to be a, a massive, you know, roaring twenties again, where people are going to really party for the next few years. You know, again, we've talked about this, but people who feel like they've missed out on that, what it feels like to be just out of college, what it feels like to just be married, what it feels like when you got out, you first have your kid, like all these things people feel like they missed and yeah. they're going to try to play catch up. Um, and so I think it's going to mean people are going to spend more income, um, whether that's a good thing for the long run and the healthy economy, maybe not. They may not save as much as they should. Um, although they do have this to look back on to say, well, maybe I did need that rainy egg, that rainy day fund. So hopefully. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I just, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what it looks like. But what is exciting to me is I do think you're going to have a lot of new blood come into the industry and yeah. people that were just unaware of because, yeah, they got into like making cocktails. I'm like, I want to own a cocktail bar. Yeah. 
and they, yeah. and, and they'll probably do it. Um, whether that, that also means that, you know, we're about to see like the return of the eater death watch where like, yeah. there's going to be a lot of places that don't make it because they're the people who run them are green. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had people reach out to me in, over the last month emails like, Hey, I think about opening a wine bar would love some thoughts or, Hey, you know, I've, I was going to open this like really cool cocktail bar. Like I'm, you know, I'm based in Brooklyn, like a lot of people actually. Adam, are you announcing a vine pair bar? No. Not at all, but I do, but I do, I don't want to do that, but I do think that there's a lot of people who who are thinking about it, you know, I also thought throughout this whole pandemic, like, yeah, I mean, I had a good job, like, I also fucking hate my job, (laughs) so I want to do this instead, and this sounds fun, and they didn't experience any of the pain that the people who owned restaurants through this pandemic experienced, right, so they're going to come into it not having to deal with it, and they're going to have the capital, it's going to be really interesting. For sure. And I think actually kind of along those lines, a thought that I've been having is – and you you talked about whether the structure of these restaurants and bars will be the same as it had been. I think that along with that, you're going to see the the first real serious decline in two things. One is I think tipping culture is on its way out, and I think that a lot of these places that reopen are not going to be centered around tips. Um, And I think that a lot of the the other thing that's going to change is I think – we are going to have a bigger bifurcation of the industry between full service and casual or counter service. Uh, You're 100% correct. I was about to say that too. I know you listened to the Papina interview I did. It I has, did. It, it always blew my mind that there weren't more restaurants. So when I moved to New York, you know, God, over a decade ago from Atlanta, there was a lot of restaurants that had the model that Papina switched to over the pandemic, right? You, they are, they are not fast casual. It's not a Chipotle. They are, you know, casual dining establishments with great drinks programs, et cetera. But everything was ordered at a counter. And then you sat down and there was just a runner. And there was, you know, there was Taqueria del Sol. There was Figo. There was a bunch of them in Atlanta. And I always was shocked that I came to New York and there was just, there was two things. It was either a sit down restaurant with a server and a menu and whatever, or it was everything trying to be the next Chipotle. Right. There was the chops. And I think that that middle that, you know, James has pivoted to is going to stay. And I think I think he'll be he'll stay. Right. I mean, I would assume he would, at least for certain services. Maybe he's fine dining on Friday and Saturday nights or you know what I mean? But during the day, it's counter service. Who knows? But I think you're completely right. It's going to be this way at a lot of places. People are going to go. And get a place where they can order a solid burger, but sit down and order a nice bottle of wine off a list that then is brought to their table with their burger. Um, I think you're completely right. And it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I think it's also one of those things where you realize it's one of the, it's one of the areas where an industry reset is, is just going to make it's made and will continue to make a lot of these. Well, it's just the way we've always done it kinds of policies and, and practices look really obsolete. And again, unfortunately, it's sort of the case that front of house labor in particular is going to be the loser in all this because, you know, I mean, that's where I came from mostly. And and I have a lot of, um, I think there's a lot of positives to that. But the honest truth is like, the experience that people like about restaurants is, yeah, it's a little bit about service. It's a little bit about sitting down and having someone come to your table and bring you a menu and or talk to you about the menu and take your order and Great. And there will be restaurants that do that. But I think there will be fewer of them because for most people, most dining experiences are not meaningfully different if you order at a counter and sit down versus if you sit at the table first and look at a menu there. And and it allows operators to 
you know, cut costs, which is going to be huge because a lot of the, whether it's existing businesses that try to reboot or some of these new uh, ventures that aren't backed by huge amounts of money are going to be tight on funds. I think also you're going to see along with that, and I hope this isn't too in the weeds or too technical, but I think you're going to see a lot of um, distributors and purveyors who also got badly, badly fucked by the way things went down um, in especially March and April where, you know, people closed down and basically said, hey, look, I'm not doing any business. I can't pay you what I owe you. Like, I can't pay you for the wine shipment I received last week. And a lot of places operate with, you know, 30-day terms or 60-day terms where, you know, yeah, you don't pay the moment the wine shows up at your doorstep. You pay once you've sold a decent amount of it or when you have cash flow coming through from it. And so same thing with food, et cetera. And so I think you're going to see a lot of the distributors and purveyors that maybe are still there. Uh, that maybe we're able to pivot to selling to grocery stores and, uh, you know, t- or to places that we're doing delivery and takeout, et cetera. They're going to be cautious too. Everyone's going to be cautious. It's going to be a lot of, you know, cash on <laughs> cash on the barrel head kind of transactions for a while. Totally. And so things that allow you to keep labor costs down, especially front of house labor costs down are going to be big. Um, I have one last kind of two part prediction, which is oh, like a, a happy yeah, and, a, yeah. an, and an unhappy prediction. So I think happily for most of us, um, I think that, Fairly early in the Biden presidency, the tariffs on European wine spirits are going to be repealed. Um, I don't really see that as being a thing that sticks around. It's made zero sense for anyone. And it's a thing where all levels of the industry, big, small, everywhere is in agreement that tariffs suck. Really, there's no one who's benefiting from it in this country, which means that I don't think it's going to last longer than the current sitting president will last. Um, And unfortunately, though, I think previously I was pretty optimistic that a lot of things that happened through this pandemic would create a groundswell of effort to really make direct to consumer, uh, especially liquor shipping more permissible. I've gotten less optimistic about that. I don't think that we're going to see big changes in 2021. I don't mean we won't see them ever, but I think that, you know, the thing, one of the things that's happened in the pandemic is power has even more firmly consolidated in some of the big brands because they've been the ones who've really been killing it. And the big companies, and I think that they have a vested interest in, oh, I should say they don't have a vested interest in upending things. And the big distributorships very much have a vested interest in in keeping control of liquor distribution. And I just, I don't see there being enough of a groundswell to make a much of a change in 2021. I hope I'm wrong. I I really do. Um, But that's my kind of two-part legalistic prediction. So yeah, I think... I have, I have one other prediction, but I want to comment on, on one of the things you said. Um, I think that you're right about DTC. I think there will be more people that, that, that do do DTC once in a while than there used to be. I think this, I, you know, the people who are screaming that DTC is the future and they're building the next great, you know, X, Y, or Z, I think are going to not be correct. Uh, and that's because you just cannot replicate the experience of going to the shop online. People have tried. Until you can build a Pandora or Spotify-like model for alcohol, which is very difficult, um, especially given all of the – I mean all the different labels. What was it? 130,000 new wines came into the market over the last year, right? Like unless you can figure that out, it's only – you'll only be able to do that with the big brands. And the big brands are also already in the supermarket. They're already at the, at the liquor store. And I think that what most consumers do still value is walking into the store and asking someone. And being pointed, hey, I read about this, you know, I read about, you know, orange wine on Vine Pair. Can you point me to the orange wines you have in the store? Because they don't want to sit and like go through then on on wine.com, not to pick on wine.com, but just, you know, all the orange wines that wine.com has available. Yeah. They don't want to do that. 
that is a waste of everyone's time, right? I even if I felt that way about clothes, you know, like I've done a lot of online clothes shopping over the, I'm a fancy man. I like fashion, um, <laughs> you know, but like, I want to go back into the stores because I would like to ultimately talk to the people at the stores, you know, the, the brands I like and be like, Hey, you know, what, you know, what great jackets do you have in or whatever, instead of like looking for 35 parkas, that's what I was doing today, right. To figure out like how I, I can get something for the winter. Like, I just don't want to do that. And I think that it's going to be a mix and, and I, we're going to gain a little bit, but I don't think it's going to be to the level that everyone thinks it's going to be to, to be very honest. And I think you're right there. Um, so the other thing that I, that I do strongly believe is going to happen in 2021. And um, I think it's gonna make a lot of people who listen to the podcast, especially who, who work with brands, et cetera, very happy is that I do very strongly believe in the data supports that the rise of premiumization will continue. The drive towards consumers to spend more money on wine, beer, and spirits is going to continue. We've seen it grow in the pandemic. Uh, I don't think that's going to change. I think the people who, as we said, have done pretty well already in the pandemic are going to continue to do well. Um, there, you know, there, there's not going to be a, a massive fall off there. Uh, they're going to have money. They're going to look for premium wines. They're going to look for premium beers. You look at, you know, these, I remember at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, oh, there's gonna be the death of the really expensive four pack of craft beer. There hasn't been no, you know, there hasn't been at all. People are buying them. I was wrong. Um, you know, I think it's going to continue in a very, very, very strong way especially people wanting to go out and party and celebrate and have a good time so if you are if you are working with premium brands you're going to be in a great position if you're working with those brands that are sub premium you know below that $15 price point really $10 price point i think it's not going to be as positive as people were hoping it would be in April when we were talking to them saying, yeah, this is going to be just like the 2008 recession. I don't think it's going to be. Yeah. Well, you're right because this recession, such as it is, is so – even more than that one is so weirdly like divided and that yep. the kind of people who were going to spend on, on relatively expensive wine – have largely not been hurt. I mean, it's it's there's a lot of shitty things about it, and we'll see, you know, legislatively and whatnot what happens in 2021. Some things, but I, I think in general, you're right. I think that that one thing that was wrong that maybe we got wrong, and I think lots of people got wrong early on was was that there would be more, you know, there was a period in April, you know, March, April, whatever, when people were hoarding, and and part of hoarding yeah. was like, I'm going to buy a bunch of cheap booze, and people, I think maybe also made sense when people thought that they were only going to be quarantining or you know staying at home for a month two months maybe three months and when it became clear well shit this is stretching on for who knows how long then it was like people are like you know what (laughs) i want to actually drink something i like not just something that i bought in a panic because it was the you know 11 dollar bottle of generic wine on the shelf when i happened to be at the grocery store and it was the only thing i could find like i just think yeah i think you're right i think the premiumization will continue and will stay and And we'll provide lots of opportunity. Yeah, because I think, you know, the beginning of the pandemic, one of the things everyone got wrong, including us, was that we saw all these massive layoffs happening and we thought that they were going to continue. And yes, they did in the industries that we all know have been massively affected, including the one that we love. And and that industry is going to need all of our help in like the advertising industry, you know, talking agencies or the sort of, uh, you know, consulting, finance, et cetera. They just used COVID as an excuse to cut to trim fat. Yeah. Right. Like that's what they did. And you, you, you listen to any economist who is, who has studied this for the past few months. And that's basically the conclusion they've come to is like, yeah, all these industries just used COVID as an excuse to literally trim back at excess bullshit 
and save money and basically come out leaner, right? Yeah. They didn't they didn't cut because they were bleeding. And I think that we're going to see that completely, you know, play out in 2021 where like yeah, a lot of these companies are going to be totally fine with workers who are making very good salaries who have money and are going to spend it. Yeah. Well, Zach, I mean, you know, I can't I can't wait to to talk more about, you know, what's what's to come in 2020. I think it's going to be a really exciting year. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, cool shit that happens. Uh, I'm definitely excited to stand in a crowded bar again. I don't know oh, about yeah. you, but you know, we've we've waxed on and off for like the, the past 30 plus minutes about our predictions, but we threw it out to some of the listeners uh, and asked them. So you picked some of the best uh, ones that were sent in to you uh, via you know either audio recording or on Instagram of what some of our listeners' predictions are. So I'm gonna, I'm going to let you play that package right now. Let's do it. Hey everyone, Zach here. We'll hear some listener predictions in just a minute, but I wanted to share some that we received via Instagram, uh, of course, that fine pair, and uh, a few that I really loved uh, that were some fun predictions, a uh, prediction for a big year for fruit brandies, uh, for some fast food cocktail menus, I think that could be super exciting, um, more transparency in spirits, uh, so better ingredient labeling and nutritional information, uh, canned seltzer cocktails, um, another call for high-end canned cocktails, actually a few of you kind of thought that that was going to be a big deal, uh, some think that hard seltzer is going to have an even bigger year than they did in 2020, which I guess if everyone's out drinking again in public, uh, that could be the case. Uh, frozen drinks, I think they had a pretty big year this year, but I could see them taking off again. Uh, some upgraded and, and more fancy cocktail mixes for at-home work, uh, something that Adam and I just touched on in the episode. And then uh, a couple that I really enjoyed, people talking about canned champagne. Uh, I don't know if a champagne house will go that route, but you never do know. And then uh, someone who might just be giving me a hard time thinks we're going to have a big year for uh, natural white Zinfandel. So uh, we'll hear from the listeners in just a second, but uh, thank you all for sharing, and we look forward to getting your thoughts on 2021 as the year progresses. Hi, my name is Rafa. In 2020, consumers have realized how hard it is to buy your wine and have it delivered to your house as compared to groceries. So for 2021, my trend is engrossing any initiatives that can streamline this process or initiatives that can simplify overall these rules that prevent us from getting our wine delivered to your home. I think the pandemic has showed us that there is demand for wine delivery. I saw that in my neighborhood Facebook group where people erupted in cheers when they learned that Total Wine delivered to our neighborhood. Hey, Vine Pear Crew, this is Lucy calling in from London. My prediction for 2021 is Crew Muscadet. I think in 2020, we saw a huge amount of interest in Crew Beaujolais. And I think 2021 is the year for Crew Muscadet. It's an amazing terroir-driven wine, great with food, without food, and it's got serious aging potential. Hi, Vine Pair listeners. My name is Morgan Stutzman, and I work in marketing with Trincaro Family Estates. I think this year will be the year of comfort and health. I think the hard seltzers will continue to show growth, and we will see the wine-based seltzers emerge within that category as the consumers branch off from traditional beer-based seltzers for more premium and different options. I think we will see an increased interest in the Better For You wine products, the new younger consumers are looking for more wine products that can fit into their active lifestyle without giving up their glass of wine at the end of the day. 
And lastly, I think the RTD market will continue to grow this year. I think margaritas will continue to capitalize on the going out experience at home. And as people are potentially able to gather as this year goes on, I think that the larger format classic cocktails will become popular for hosting. Those were all incredibly insightful. Yeah, we have some some smart ass listeners. Yeah, man. It's, well, smart and smart ass actually. To be fair, <laughs> there were there were there were a few that were like, uh, you know, the Vine Pair podcast gets new hosts, but we're not going to play those. Yeah, we're not going to play those. Come on, cool guys. <laughs> um, and yeah, but uh, but Zach, I mean, let, let's let, let's keep it going into twenty twenty one. Can't wait to talk more. Talk to you next week. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair podcast. If you enjoy listening to us every week, please leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now, for the credits. Vine Pair is produced by myself and Zach Jabal. It is also mixed and edited by him. Yeah, Zach, we know you do a lot. I'd also like to thank the entire Vine Pair team, including my co-founder, Josh, and our associate editor, Kat Winston. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And now, a word from our sponsor mind and body aiming to cut back on calories and alcohol but still want to enjoy a delicious glass of wine mind and body wines are your perfect solution these low calorie low alcohol wines are only 90 calories per serving and are vegan gluten-free non-gmo and made without added sugar with mind and body wines you can sip without sacrifice learn more at mindandbodywines.com